0: Hello and welcome to All Things Urticaria from MedThority. In this series of podcasts, our host, Professor Marcus Maurer, is joined by his friends and colleagues to discuss All Things Urticaria. Over to Professor Maurer. Hello and welcome back to All Things Urticaria, your UCARE podcast. UCARE, Urticaria Centers of Reference and Excellence. My name is Marcus. I'm joining this podcast from the UKARE in Berlin, and I have with me also UKARE and ACARE, UK, Asli. Asli, I'm so happy. Marabah, welcome.
1: Hi, Marcus. It's my pleasure to be here. I'm also so happy.
0: Asli. why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, where are you? What do you do?
1: Okay. I'm a professor of internal medicine, allergy and immunology, and I'm the head of uh, internal medicine and Allergy and Immunology uh, Division at Istanbul Faculty of Medicine, and I'm also the director of our U-Care and A-Care Center.
0: Fantastic, Istanbul. I love Istanbul. I had such a great time when we were um, at the recent World Allergy Meeting. Uh, it was great to be back in Istanbul. Asli, what, what I wanted to talk to you about today is angioedema. I know you have a vested interest and a lot of experience in uh, treating patients with angioedema. And um, maybe you could uh, give a a quick picture on what you do when you see for the first time a patient with angioedema, recurrent angioedema.
1: Okay, so angioedema is particularly the swelling of uh some parts of our body and it can also involve internal organs including gut, for example and it really causes very severe uh, abdominal pain attacks mm-hmm. and also it can be a life-threatening situation what it involves when it involves the upper airways mm-hmm. so if i see uh angiodema uh a recurrent angiodema first my um uh, First thing to do is to differentiate it according to its mechanism. Okay. I have to uh, consider it whether it is a muscle-mediated angedema or a bradykine-mediated angedema. And then if I uh, can make a correct diagnosis according to some clinical hints and laboratory tests, and of course, then I should give a very good uh, treatment options I can uh, Of
0: course treat
1: my patient very perfectly
0: yeah and, and and maybe that's important to say Asli because the two different types that you outlined are very different when it comes to treatment so I do the same thing this is the first thing that I think about could this be the one or the other but maybe not all of our listeners know what we should look for to make that distinction between mast cell and bradykinin What what are some clues for you that you look for
1: Okay first if uh, we're talking about an isolated angioedema our, our job is very challenging then it can be both type uh, one of the both types but usually mast cell mediated angioedema in in, the, in these angioedema types we see uh, concomitant urticaria meaning hives and angioedema in our patient. So our job is very easy, but in rare cases, some other, the, the, the two uh, angiidema types can occur together, but it's extremely rare. So it's not our topic today. However, if we are talking about the pure angidema, then we have to um, search if there is a hereditary uh, angidema, if you are talking about a heritage. So family history is very important. So okay. I have to check. Uh, the family if there are some patients having uh, uh, angiodema attacks. But of course, we know that uh, in HAE, one-fourth of the patients does not have a family history. And then, uh, of course, if the patient has highs, then it is a muscle-mediated angiodema. If there is no uh, highs, then uh, I have to search if the patient has any abdominal pain attacks because we know that in, internal organ involvement in cell mediated angedema is rare. And also, uh, the speed of onset of symptoms is also very important for us. For example, in cell mediated angedema, it really goes very fast. However, mm-hmm. in body kind mediated one, it is much more slower. Mm-hmm. And also, of course, we have to be aware that uh, muscle mediated angedema can be a part of anaphylaxis. Uh, particular manifestation of anaphylaxis, the whole scene. So we have to be, we have to uh, make our differential diagnosis very uh, carefully and we have to convince ourselves that the patient's not having anaphylaxis. And also age is important. In childhood we usually see some uh, genetic disorders more common, so hereditary angioma is more common. Mm -hmm. And acquired angioma, is a part of, uh, of course, bradykinin-mediated uh, angedema can be seen uh, during some autoimmune diseases, melanin and also we have some drugs, uh, the angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors, which are usually used in cardiology, and uh, they can also cause uh, angioedema related to the bradykinin metabolism, impaired uh, bradykinin of metabolism. So. Uh, this is uh, not so rare uh, and also uh, we have to search for this in adult patients and um, I think and also uh, I can say that uh, upper airway involvement is much more common in uh, body kind of mediated angiidema uh, not in muscle mediated angedema. I think these are the things that I have to check uh, when I have uh, receiving uh, having the di- uh, the history for my patients
0: course no that's very 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 good some really helpful tips you know in the end patients come to us they have recurrent angioedema no they've had it once or three times or five times um, and uh, now they want to know what is this and I'm going to take you up on upper airway involvement which of course makes hereditary angioedema such a devastating disease though no, um, the risk of suffocation is there and patients need to know it and they need to know what to do they need to have medication to treat it but patients at this very first visit when they see us don't know and uh, um, my experience is that many if not all patients have that fear that what happened to them, maybe only with the lips or with the eyes, can move to the airways and become dangerous. So I think uh, just as important as it is to advise and counsel patients with hereditary angioedema that this can be important and Mm -hmm. dangerous and needs treatment, it is important to put confidence in those with muscle-mediated angioedema, especially those where the disease that causes is, is, is chronic spontaneous urticaria, whether the angioedema comes with wheels or without, but it is it is a form of chronic spontaneous urticaria, that this is not dangerous. Um, what is your approach to this? Um, uh, you know, Sometimes patients come to us with emergency kits. No, they have an a, adrenaline injector, and it's very clear that they have chronic spontaneous urticaria where angioedema is the dominant um, uh, manifestation, no wheels or very few wheels. And uh, what do you do when you see this?
1: Yes, I definitely agree what you have said. Uh, we know that hereditary angioedema patients, unfortunately, experience um laryngeal edema attacks uh, during lifetime and only in half of the patients uh, can have once in lifetime so it's very important however in CSU patients uh, angioedema attacks are not as severe as those seen in hereditary angioedema and if the patient has an attack uh, on his face for example uh, on the lips or eyes I usually ensure the patient that this case is not as severe as we have, we can expect. And also at the emergency department, the physicians must know that uh, the internal mucosa of the mouth is important, not the lips or eyes or extremities or genitalia. So um, the place, the location is so important, but otherwise we usually do not see uh, life-threatening angioma mm-hmm. attacks. Uh, during CSU, so this is what I really agree with you.
0: Yeah, and and it's important to share that with patients. No, I, I tell them it sometimes but really rarely goes to the tongue, but not yeah. further. No no patient with chronic spontaneous itchicaria has ever died of angioedema, so that these patients understand that, yes, this can be annoying, it can be debilitating, it can be painful or itchy, um, but it's not dangerous. Uh, and in fact, Lee, when I talk to HAE patients, when they um, uh, have uh, their first conversation with us on newly diagnosed hereditary angioedema, I do tell them that this is a dangerous disease and that the next attack could be a dangerous one. They should, they should always carry uh, medication that helps them to treat a laryngeal attack if and when it occurs.
1: And maybe I may add something to this, uh, Marcus. Uh, Non-stirred anti-inflammatory drugs can trigger some urticaria symptoms plus angioedema and yeah. perhaps in those patients i usually can see them having severe angioedema attacks so uh, of course this is a, a kind of uh, group of patients having csu and in those patients i think uh, we have to warn them about the situation but otherwise yes they can feel themselves a kind yes. of uh, yeah free and, yeah.
0: and at the same time maybe we should then also say that ACE inhib- inhibitors, no? uh, you yeah. angiotensin-converting enzyme, yes, uh, very right. often used, uh, broadly used for uh, cardiovascular disease, uh, that, that they also can lead to angioedema. But this is then on the uh, bradykinin side of things. Yes. You know, I've often asked myself, um, uh, Asli, why is it that bradykinin acting on its receptors, bradykinin, two receptor, mainly, Um, but not histamine acting on its receptors, affects different parts of the body. Now, why do we not see abdominal attacks or laryngeal attacks in patients with mast cell-mediated angioedema? And and why do we see them in bradykinin-mediated angioedema? Any explanation that you have seen for this, or is this an unmet need in research?
1: well i hope i have <laughs> but this is a very good observation i definitely agree well it depends i mean we know that for example muscle cells in various parts of our body are not the same because of muscle cells or other in other parts of our body but of course i don't have an answer unfortunately maybe you have <laughs> and then i will learn now
0: which, I mean, maybe we see it differently, you know, when we look at the mast cell media uh, wheels and angioedema, I think we know more than uh, about bradykinin when it comes to why it happens where it happens. You no, know? it's, a, it's a skin disease, although we have um, other body organs that have mast cells but like you say these mast cells are very different uh, than the mast cells that we see in the skin and this is why uh, in chronic urticaria the wheels and the angioedema are limited to to the skin you and Um, I I also think it has something to do with the triggers of mast cells that are present in the skin, but not in other sites. I'm not so sure about the bradykinin mediated angioidema, why it likes to occur where it does. Maybe it does have something to do with the um, expression of bradykinin to receptors more here than there and therefore more attacks here than there. But I I have to say, um, I haven't seen any work that really gives a clear answer to that question and understand why it's difficult. It's much easier to get a biopsy from the skin than from the upper airways to quantify um, receptor expression and link it to where the angioedema occurs.
1: But maybe I may uh, say also that uh, in, in real life it is sometimes different. I own. I have a family and um, and that family uh, girl is having um, angi- hereditary angioidema attacks and diagnosed with hereditary angioidema and CSU as well. And the patient if uh, is not on antistamines for CSU, can have uh, abdominal pain attacks following urticarial symptoms. In fact, these two different mechanisms can trigger uh, each other in a way mm. this is all very rare of course mm. but we have to keep in in our mind uh, mm. but yes uh, and it, i think in animal models for example cell heparin was shown to trigger the generation of bradykinin so this is of course very rare but uh yeah in real life things can be different that we learn from
0: of that course, and, and I think we have to work as a community to better understand the crosstalk between the contact system and Bradykinin on the one yeah. hand, about uh, and muscle cells and their mediators on on the other, uh, which clearly exists, but we don't really think have uh, I think have a good picture of what exactly is going on. No? Um, Asli, maybe we can use uh, the last minutes we have to talk a little bit about why it is so important, aside from the fact that bradykinin uh, angiodema is so dangerous, um, uh, whereas cell uh, mediated angiodema is uh, much more common. No, this is, uh, mm-hmm. of course, a clear, yes. a clear difference, but it really makes a difference for patients to uh, to know this. And and to finding out is not difficult. No, the diagnostic tests are there. They're simple. All we have to do is think of them, do them, and then we know, is it one or the other? But then it becomes important, doesn't it?
1: Yes, definitely. So, uh, I mean, it, it, we, we have first, it starts with suspicion and then awareness among the clinicians. And then we can treat our patients accordingly. Uh, and yes, very distinct treatments, treatment options are available for these two different conditions yes
0: absolutely and you know then we come to similarities of course we use different drugs to treat okay. you no know, one of the, uh, the, the strategies in uh, in hereditary angioedema and and other bradykinin mediated angioedemas to to target the contact system with caliprine and with bradykinin receptors and the strategy in mast cell mediated angioedemas to target mast cells obviously but what we do in both of these diseases, or at least what we like to do, is to not let patients have the angioedema, but to prevent it. No? Yes. Uh, I think that all of my patients, and my guess is that this is the same for you, all of yes. your patients with cell mediated uh, angioedema with or without wheels, um, are on some kind of prophylactic treatment, be it antihistamines or omalizumab. You no? Know? Yes. And more and more, we're moving to prophylaxis as the standard of care in hereditary angioedema as well. Is that your impression?
1: Yes, definitely. I have patients having recurring angioedema attacks, the CSU patients, and we keep them on high-dose antihistamines. And if these do not work we give them omalizumab like we do in other CSU patients. It really works well and on the other hand for HA patients long-term prophylaxis is extremely important we have to uh, because the patient's quality of life is affected very much so we have to make them symptom free However, in uh, some regions of the uh, of the world, we do not have the first-line treatment options for long-term prophylaxis in HAE, likewise in our country. But we have to do our best uh, to m- make them
0: symptom-free. Anyway. Yeah. It, absolutely, and it, it's actually interesting to see that the goals that we have lined out for both diseases are very, very similar. know, in the urticaria guideline, we say treat the disease until it is gone, which yes. means you know they should patients should not worry about yes. uh, uh, having signs and symptoms because they receive treatment that prevents them. And and in the in the um, hereditary angioedema guideline, we say the goal of treatment is complete control. Oh, no, no attacks, no. Uh, quality of life impairment. So, in fact, this is where we have strong similarity, mainly because we know that it is not nice to have angioedema. It puts a lot of fear in the heads of patients, whether this is bradykinin-mediated or uh, mast cell-mediated. No one wants uh, patients to have this, and uh, the idea is to prevent as best as we can. Sure. I have one last question for you. Okay. Because time is running out it's always uh, fun yes, to I'm talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> As, okay. Asley, Let's say Okay. I found 1 million dollars. <laughs> oh, let's make it 3. 3 million, three million dollars. Yeah. yeah. But it and I'll give it to you but it comes with a one condition. Okay? You have <laughs> to spend this on Andrew Dima. It needs to be put to good use on angioedema. How would you spend that money? What would you do?
1: Okay, so very good question. I have (laughs) to think a bit. So I think the most important problem around the world is awareness. Patients usually go to emergency departments and they do not receive the right treatment for their disease. So I will use this money, I think, to increase the awareness among healthcare professionals, all of them, and to give the patients the right treatment they need. So for this, I think innovation of new drugs, I, I believe that the future is bright, also for CSU and also for hereditary anedema. We're talking about an orphan disease, but we will have many options in future and since we know the trials. So I think I will spend the money to increase uh, the awareness of the physicians as well as to have uh, more drugs in both of the types of angedema.
0: What how, a wise choice. How, how is the answer? Is That's a fun? very good answer. I am uh, very much in line <laughs> Please with Please give that. it to me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Great answer, Ashley. Thank you so much. Um, that's all the time we have today. Always fun to uh, to see you, always fun to work with you. Thank you, thank you so
1: much. Thank you so much, Marcus, for this opportunity. It was a pleasure, definitely.
0: Everybody out there, thank you for listening. This was yet another episode of All Things Zurticaria today, focusing on Andrew Dima with Ashley and her insights on why it is so important. To distinguish between mast cell mediated angioedema and bradykinin mediated angioedema. Um, we have a lot more to talk about. If you want to uh, uh, see, hear more on angioedema, please let us know and we'll be happy to do this again here as part of All Things Urticaria. Until then, be well, stay healthy, and hear you soon. Goodbye. Medthority would like to thank Marcus Maurer for that fascinating insight into you If you have any other questions regarding urticaria please feel free to ask us via our website www.medthority.com. Remember to tune in for the next episode of All Things Urticaria. From all of us at All Things Urticaria from Medthority, have a lovely week.